more beautiful. And everybody else in the same. Um, and um, I, I just, I'm so excited to be here. I have loved this topic for years. Um, my wife and I, about three years ago, wrote a book on it. And over the last three years, the Lord has refined my teaching, refined some of the principles. And what I'm going to share with you today is something that's come about in the last about six months of my life and some teaching from it. So this presentation I'm doing today um, and the approach I'm going to take has been really amazingly beautiful. Um, if you look at seeking, receiving, and understanding first revelation, we've studied the prophet at all. We know that he has been, from his very first talk on, very adamant that we must come to understand revelation. There must be personal revelation. And what I'm going to do today is walk you through maybe a, a reason for revelation that maybe you have not thought of that can literally help us fulfill what the prophet asked us to do. I just sent my text we to my husband to you guys. We increasingly contentious. That's the understatement, right? The picture. In the if we are to have so any hope, that's a strong statement from the prophet of God. If we have any hope of sifting, that word's interesting, through the myriad of voices and philosophies of men, he didn't say legal the scriptures, but that attack truth, we must learn to receive revelation. So, brothers and sisters, in a nutshell, in order to survive in these last days, we were born in a time where we have to understand the process of revelation because the prophets and apostles are not going to give us a list of everything we should and shouldn't do. But one thing I'm going to do at the end of this presentation is to make sure that we are careful with some cautions about personal revelation. Uh, and I'll just say this to start, and I'll pull it in a little bit at the end. Um, it's almost like if you're having a conversation with somebody, and they say, well, I had a personal revelation. on the conversation ends in that moment. I've been sitting there where somebody has said that to me, and I can tell you the revelation they got was not of God, because it did not fit within the parameters that God has set for revelation. And so we have to be careful when the push for personal revelation becomes so much than the phrase hashtag hear him that we do not start to be deceived by the adversary and because he will absolutely sneak in anytime the prophet pushes something to try to see the same in the last days to say that we've seen certain revelations and certain things that if are not backed up by the doctrine of truth, the prophets cannot be the test on it before the end. You have to, you have to be careful. Okay, because he is good at what he does. He's been doing it for a long time. God is far more powerful than something Jesus is not. In the coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing. Look at the words guiding, directing, comforting. Those three words are critical. And constant. That word to me is one that we must understand. I used to title this having revelations daily because I do believe, no, I do know that God will talk to us every single day. And we must trust that and believe that. And if we do, you will find that revelations will flow on a constant, continuous basis based upon the eternal truths and principles that he's established in the scriptures by the words of the prophets. We must stick to that, okay? And that always comes to the Holy Ghost. So he gives us this out, please, please, I beg, I plead. When a prophet uses the word plead, it's a really strong word. Brothers and sisters, he's begging us. Please increase our spiritual capacity to receive revelation because he knows that in the last days, what's up with it. And we have to know it. So what I want to do today is emphasize this today. I'm going to give kind of an umbrella uh, teaching today, and then I'll give some um, hindrances over the next few days that I've seen that have caused people struggle in their revelatory process. Okay? But um, it started with this. And let me, all this is going to be kind of the crux of what I'm going to teach right here, okay, today. As I started to understand John 17, 3, it started to really strike me how much this scripture, this intercessory prayer, David O'Mackay says this is the greatest of all holy writ, is this prayer that the Savior gave right before he went to Gethsemane. And he says, if we have to come to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, for that is life eternal, right? We know that that's what brings eternal life. To know God is to think what he thinks, to feel what he feels, to have the power he possesses, 
comprehend the truths we understand as he deals with what he does. Those who chose at God become like him, which Romans 7, 48 says, and you'll know him because of That's why we'll know him because we become like him. It's as simple as the tree of life is in the the one group makes it to the tree and stands there and goes to the building because they didn't know it was Christ. The second group gets to the tree and the minute they do, they fall down. They knew who he was. And they heated the building no more. Where the first one, they were still looking for vertical resources and hope and understanding of themselves from the world that you will never receive from the world. It has to be from the God of heaven because he's the only one who truly can give absolute truth. So that's the kind of life we need want to live the eternal life. Okay. So I taught I created a class at Utah State last semester. It was we did 15 weeks on Revelation. It was absolutely one of the most treasured experiences I've had. And 30 lessons on understanding Revelation. And at the start of the semester, um, something hit me that I felt like needed to be kind of the umbrella of that class, and that's what we do today. I said to my students, I want you to think, and I hope you'll do this, I want you to think a little bit about um, one of the maybe most recent revelations you've received, okay? Um, and just take a second. When's the, when, when's the most recent one you, you knew that you received some revelation, an answer or guidance or something? Now, the question I asked next, next was this. We're not supposed to be discussions here, so I won't, so I'll just kind of put you in my classroom, but we'll play like you're discussing with me. And I would ask this next question that said, so what was your goal? What did you want while you were seeking that revelation? And they said, we, we wanted an answer. We wanted understanding. We wanted to know what to do. And I said, wonderful. That's what most generally when we're seeking revelation, that's what we want. We want to understand. We want an answer to something. We want some clarity to something. We want some hope. We want some comfort. And those are all absolutely truths that we need to understand and know. And I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought that maybe one of the purposes of Revelation was that God was trying to reveal to you what he's like? They said, what? Maybe the greater purpose of Revelation isn't about the answer. Because I said to him, I said, once you got the answer, how many times did that help you? Well, help me in that situation. I said, well, what if you would have learned what God was like from the revelatory experience? How many times would that have helped you? So I grabbed it, one of my students I love, I said, tell me the revelation you received, if you feel comfortable with that. And he was kind of familiar with it. And I said, what did you learn about God during the revelatory process? And he said, I don't have a clue. I hadn't even thought that God is trying to teach me what he's like. Well, if I'm going to become like him, if I'm going to think like him, if I'm going to have the power that he has, I have to know him. And what greater way than to know somebody by them having revealed themselves to you? So what I want to talk about today, brothers and sisters, and I hope and pray you'll take this invitation. As you continue your life to find revelation daily, will you start to ask yourself this question? What is God trying to teach me about himself? What character, attribute, perfection is he trying to reveal to me in the process of what I'm learning right now? Because I often believe that sometimes maybe the reasons and answers don't come as quickly, or maybe that we struggle through, is he's trying to say, are you learning about me? And he'll give us enough time to say, wow, this is what God is like. And what happens is when you know someone, that's where you can come to trust them. Let me, let me give you a quick example of what I mean by that. If you get a scale from 1 to 10, and you just do this on your paper, and if you want to do it, it's kind of a fun little exercise, it really is. I don't know if you want to do it or not, but if you do, put on your paper a scale from 1 to 10. I'm going to show you a picture of somebody, and I want you to write, I want me to put a dot on the scale of how much you trust this person. Okay? You ready? Put a, put a dot, or mentally, how much do you trust this man? And I can see some of your faces going, about what? And I purposely didn't say about what on purpose. Generally, in general, well, what with my children, when I teach them to fish, with, 
with what, Brother Lindsay? With teaching the gospel? To give your priest a blessing? I mean, what? Come on, Brother Lindsay. Just trust me. Look, how much would you trust a Indian general just by a picture of him fishing? Please raise your hand. Below three, raise your hand. <laughs> uh, below five, raise your hand. Any tens? Okay, brother, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it really quickly. I'll bet you you trust him because you love to fish. I knew it! See, there was a connection. Now, you think about it, there was a connection right there. And he's like, anybody that can fish now, is, is it a snag or is it a fish? How do you know? Okay, because I... Okay, now, can I watch this? How do you know he's a good fisherman? No, no. Brother, if he's going to teach you to fish, you've got to care about that a little bit. Come on, my friend. Um, so if you know much about fishing, these waders are not sheep. They're the polyurethane type. This is a fishing jacket. He's a fly fisherman, so a true fisherman are only fly fishermen. Everybody knows that. Uh, and so he's going to teach you to fish. So the question is, do it on the scale. How much would you trust him to teach you how to fish? See, there are a few people on this planet that are trustworthy. Trust me. I love you. I wouldn't, I'm not that good yet. I'm working on it, all right? So I would assume you have a higher number than the first one. Fair? Okay, so let's do something. Watch this. I remember as I was doing this with my students, it was a fascinating thing to watch. Let, let the Holy Ghost teach you what you need to learn today. So that's what was on the other end. Brother's like, oh yeah, what's this man's name and number? I'm going. What? Nice. Okay, so the guy can fish. It was not a snack, all right? So that right there, that picture probably upped your trust in him to at least teach you how to fish. But I want to do something with you. I'm going to tell you about this man. I'm not going to tell you his name, but I'm going to tell you about this man. And then I'm going to ask you a question after that. And I'm just going to be very simple. Um, this man was my boss when I taught back in Virginia. Um, if there's anybody on this planet that has had a, a greater effect on my teaching than him, there's probably not one. I learned to teach from this man. He knows the scriptures and the words of the prophets like nobody I've ever met. And in fact, later in his career, he ended up being over correlation. And if you don't know what that is, correlation is that anything that goes into print in this church has to go past them first to make sure it's doctrinally correct before it can be printed. And so the brethren put people in that position that they trust. He now has a position, a very, another very position of high trust, where he is the personal secretary to the presidency of the Senate. Um, I watched him and his wife and their example of faith and goodness. I taught my wife and I how to move forward that way. He loves people with a purity that I just can't explain. I remember the first time I was in a meeting with him. This shows my character, not his. As we got to the meeting, I'm like, there's no way this guy's as good as that. There's got to be some flaws in this dude. And so I started looking for him. Because I was like, there's no way that somebody is that good. And, and it's, I got to, for the next five years, I worked very closely with him. And not that he was perfect, and didn't find very many flaws. Go back to your first scale. Your first scale. How much do you trust this man now compared to your first one? Raise your hand if it went up. Now, we could say, why? Well, brothers and sisters, you don't even know his name. You don't even know who he is. But just the little bit that I told you about him, your trust level went up as you came to know him. This is a human being that's imperfect, and your trust level changed drastically for some of you, probably, at least somewhat for most of you. Do we not believe that that same principle applies to our Heavenly Father? If you come to know God, your trust level will rise incrementally and deeply with how long you know him. What I hope to do today is to help you understand how important that is and what you can do to 
become indulgent better so your trust is there because without trust in the being that is giving the revelation the likelihood of you misinterpreting revelation becomes really high because if you don't know the source and what he needs by it and we assume we know the source and we assume things about the source that are correct we might not believe the revelation comes because we don't trust in the character of the being given. So the more we come to trust his character attributes and perfections, it literally allows us to stop fighting so much about the revelations that we receive. It allows us to start to open up. And so as you start to work through this process of understanding revelation, and as we work through this week, I hope and pray, brothers and sisters, that really what you'll do is take notes about what you could do to come to know him better, not what you could do to do revelation. Because I know that if you come to know him, you will trust him because he is perfect. He is eternal. He is our father. Now, I speak from experience with that. It is something that I have struggled with almost my whole life. Is knowing who he was and so when I struggle with when I had false beliefs about his character, attributes, and perfections, and he would give me revelation, I often would become very upset or angry with him over what he was doing, because I didn't know him. And I would blame him. Why would you do something like that? I'm hoping that this week we can come to a little bit better so we can work through that. Okay? Just so we solidify what I'm teaching, I like to make sure I'm always back you know, what I teach with the brethren in the scriptures, because if I can't do that, I shouldn't be teaching it. Simply stated by Elder Golden, our quest for eternal life is nothing other than a quest to understand who God is. And for us to return to live with him. The Savior prayed to his Father, and this is like he told us by knowing the true of God and his expressing his sin. We respectfully submit that at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power to save is a correct understanding of the Father and the Son. And so no matter what I teach about Revelation, if I don't teach you about the Father and the Son, then the Revelation could be skewed in our own minds. That's what we'll work on this week as we go through. I love how Elmer Hales teaches this. I testify that when we do what is necessary to know them and know, now, I love the others, and to know their love for who? For, you catch what it says there? For one another. Now, if I would have, if I'd have been just reading along, I would have said, um, well, love for us, which is true. But he says, I want to emphasize, their love for one another will obtain the grace of all the gifts, which is even eternal life. scripture again, and then look at the last line. It comes through a matter of personal revelation. So, next time, or right now, while you're seeking to know what to do with your wayward child, or with your marriage that's struggling, or with the job that you're having a struggle to find, or the job you're in your life, or with the calling that you're having, and you're seeking and asking God, what do I do in this situation? Try this. Heavenly Father, this situation and circumstance, I trust is calculated by you. What do you want me to learn about me in this process? What do I need to know more and understand more clearly about who you are? And then I don't think we'll stress so much over the answer. Because I can tell you, and anybody that's a parent knows this, when a child comes and starts asking questions about things they want to know, and, you, and there's things about they want you to know about the core of life, your parent just goes, oh, 
And if you're like me, I give them way too much. I fire those at that point. Like, Dad, I asked one question, and answered seven. I'm like, Dad, I've been in those seven for a while. I need one right now. Heavenly Father doesn't do that. Our asking opens the next door. Elder Scott used to come out to D.C. every year when he taught out there. And he would call some of the students and say, hey, if we have a fireside, do you think the youth would come? <laughs> yeah, yes, Elder Scott, they will come. And he became their apostle because he would come every year on family vacation, but he'd come and speak to the YSAs. And they'd fill the Kensington Stakes and enter by the temple. And every year, without fail, he would stand up and start with this. Throw up, my young friends. You all know this. And if you raise your hand and ask a question, it authorizes the Holy Ghost to teach. So, let's have the Holy Ghost teach today. So, with that principle being true, anytime I ask a question of my Heavenly Father, the messenger of all truth now has authority to teach me. And that's powerful. Okay? Well, to this, not my wife says, sometimes you need a dead horse for the sake of I know, but I still like to. So I'm going to give one more, because I just think this is important. The more we know Jesus, the more we will love him. The more that we know of Jesus, the more we will trust him. That's the principle. The more we know of Jesus, the more we'll want to be like him, to be with him, by becoming a man of men and women. That he, that he wishes us to be. Have you ever thought about that phrase? We'll come to find out what he wishes for us, not what we wish. See, when I come to know and trust him that he will never give anything that is contrary to eternal truth, that I want to do what he would help us do. While living after the manner of happiness. So I don't know if you've ever thought of this, Venus, but the prophet Joseph Smith, um, when he went to the grove of trees, he was seeking for an answer, right? His answer was, his question was, which church do I join, right? Okay? Did he give his answer? Said none of them, right? So he did get an answer. So why didn't the Father just come down and say, Joseph, don't join any of them and leave? <laughs> what are those giggles for? Um, there are, I mean, seriously, in fact, what happened was the Father, and if you look at Scripture, since the fall, this is the first time and the only time that we know of that. The Father has come to earth personally. His voice has been heard many times. But since the fall, this is the one and only vision. Which tells us something about that day. And what did he choose to do? And these are just a little massage. Think about this. Just look at what the prophet Joseph actually was taught. He got an answer. Don't join any of them. But that is, that is Joseph walks away and says, yeah, I could join him, but he walks away a changed man. A changed boy. I'm sorry, I should say boy. And why? Because now he knows actually there is a God. He now knows that God knows him personally. That there is that he is literal, literally is the father of Jesus Christ. And that he will continue to reveal himself to man. That he has body parts of passions. That they're two separate beings. There's not one. That they have greater power than Satan. That God still answers prayers. And God is very involved in our life. <laughs> Go with your questions. Keep going and asking the Father for answers. But do another Scott. Is there more, Father, of what I can learn about you? What I can learn about what who you are? Um, I see some, some youth in here. Sorry, all that aren't. But can I just say something to the youth for a second? And I want to testify to them. They're sorry, the youth are part of my hearts. I love the rest of you too. But I, they just can they be when I see them come something like this, it just touches my heart. You, youth, you, if you will come to know God at this age, 16, 17, 18, know what he's really like and how much he really loves you, 19, 20, 21. All 
those things you're stressed and worried about that constantly beat you up will literally fall by the wayside. You can call it. Because nothing will matter more than knowing, like Joseph needed to Joseph was changed. And so will you and I be if we didn't know our God. And we know that Joseph from that point on received revelation upon revelation upon revelation upon revelation. Yes, we know he's on a little job, 160 pages. But that was a small blip in eternity that God had prepared 2,000 years before that was going to happen, which tells you God did. If you ever wonder what Lehi is going to say, look, you seriously let that little kid have my scriptures? Do you know how long it took me to write on those darn things? And then he looked through some. And I'm like, he's like, listen, Lehi, you're way too horny. They had me by a bridge. It's okay. Because if there were another 16 pages, they would have read the Book of Mormon. Anyway, um, and so I've always wondered about Lehi's conversation with that, but he trusted God, so we know. So, let's talk, brothers and sisters. These are the things we often seek for. They often are. So let me ask you this question. What might God be teaching us about himself during the recording process? For example, let's do this one. So when an impression comes, um, take, go see so-and-so in your, in your neighborhood. Call your daughter. Um, call the state president and see if he's doing okay. Why would I do that? What? When impressions come, I'm wondering if God is not so much stressed about the impression as he's trying to teach you what he would do in that moment if you were here. But because he's not, he relies upon us to be the ones that do what he would do. And if you go do what he asks you to do, then what happens is, you become like him. And you come to know him. We stress so much over what, and I'll show you this in a second, we stress over so much over the outcome of what's going to happen. And if the outcome is exactly what we think it should be, then we think, okay, I follow the relationship. It didn't come out like it was supposed to. Then we're like, oh, that's what it's probably his be. And then, sisters, the God of heaven's trying to teach you what he's like. And most generally, you know what he does? He listens a lot. He has to. We don't give him time to talk. Uh, you've all noticed that in your prayers too, huh? Yeah. Um, literally, in fact, I had a question asked me just about a week ago. This is racking my brain. He said, if God needed to talk to you today, is there a time during your day that he could? When would that be? I started looking at my day and I went, you know, I got about a five minute drive. You want to jump in there? Brothers and sisters, if God needs to talk to you today, is there a time you can? Is there a time that's over when you can speak? When he gives you a no, what's he trying to teach you about himself? What's he trying to teach you when he says, no, that's not good, that's not, that's not right. What is he trying to, and I don't know all these answers, but there's answers that we should ask. What would he give you a yes? What is he saying? I've wondered with, I'm going to throw a couple of what I have thought about. When he gives me a no, I've wondered if he's saying, Stephen, I want you to understand that I know all things. And you don't. Oh yeah, that's true. And I'm going to give you a yes. Because I want you to know how much I love you. Even though there might be something else, this is good for you. I want you to know that I'm a loving God. What's he trying to teach us when he says, hey, just, just trust me. Leave it alone. Stop worrying about it. Yeah, all you mothers. Uh, Heavenly Father, the Lord. They're my child first. Will you, will you just let me take care of this one? And sit back and do nothing? No. Create a safe place for them to come when I have the mercy. Create a safe place so when I get their hearts ready, they have a place to come back. Let me take care of the heart. And don't judge the heart. Because 
One of the character traits that we must understand about God is he is the ultimate judge. But if we don't believe that, we may force upon our children others things that we think should happen because we start to judge the situation. But see, that is religion from God. That comes from our own emotions and our own worries and our own fears. I'm going to do a day, I think day four, we're going to cover a, a new concept I can understand about fear that's just outside of reality. Just wait. Maybe he wants you to wait because he wants you to know that he's patient. And you need to develop it too. Because we're trying to become like God, right? Maybe there's silence. Because he wants you to know that he trusts you. That you're trusting God. Brothers and sisters, I, I want you to think about this concept. How often do we worry about outcomes, especially when it comes to revelation? Where what if we started to worry more about the offering that we gave? See, one of the things I found about revelation is that God will inspire me or ask me to do something, but he most generally does not tell me the end from the beginning. I don't know what's going to happen. And because my brain is the type of brain that loves to run 14 miles down the road with me. I create uh, an answer to what it's supposed to be. And in that process, he says, Stephen, I gave you this much. Just trust in that and offer the best you have with what you can do right now. And brothers and sisters, can I tell you, that is not going to be the same every day. I work with people that have struggled with emotional wellness a lot. Um, that's why I do a presentation here on it. And one of the things I try to understand is that God does not compare offerings. You do. And so, this day, if the only thing you do is get out of bed, and that's your offering that day, then that's enough. So, I'll get an impression to talk to one of my children about something, and the minute I do, I think, ah, I, they're finally going to change. I run to the outcome that fast. I'm, I'm like, I'm there. Like, oh, God, I do work. This is finally the one. Prepare about this for years. And I keep watching there, and they're like, yeah, we've heard this before. I'm so tired of your preaching. So I walk away feeling like garbage, and I tell myself, you weren't in tune, you didn't listen to the Spirit. Because I judge it on my outcome instead of the offering that I made. What if we start to understand our offering is what he loves? It's President Nelson. The Lord loves effort. And he rewards effort. That is what we have. So as you, are, as you start to receive revelation, instead of running to the end, say, okay, my Father, this is what I can give. And I know that you will accept that because you are a God that loves offering. You're a God that loves effort. And this is the best I can do. And he will say, well done. That's all I needed from you. And if you think about it, a whole bunch of little offerings accumulates to a grand and beautiful way for things to happen. Because if you're anything like me, I don't change very fast. I am terribly stubborn. And it takes God multiple times of saying, Stephen, stop using that tone of voice with your children. I'm sorry. You said that yesterday. No. But, but it, was, it was a little better yesterday. He goes, okay, it was a little better yesterday. I'll accept your offering. But let's do a little better tomorrow, okay? So I'll just not come home from work and I'll avoid it. Then I'll have a good time. And he'll be like, no, that's not the way it works. <laughs> that is not what I mean by offering, by staying away. And so can I just share with you, honestly, if you will come to understand that God loves effort and you judge, judge what you've done from the offering you are able to offer, not by the outcome that happened, you will find that you will not stress so much over religion. How often, if you have a person go talk to neighbors, you ask the next question is why? What do they need? What am I supposed to do? Oh, I'll bet you that their family died. He's like, no, they're lonely. But he doesn't tell us that. So I said, okay, so I go knock on the door, and hey, and of course, we're members of the Jewish church, of these guys already saying, so we have to take something. And so we take something because it's so awkward to stand there and why are you here? I don't know. So here, that's why I'm here. Now, do you need anything? 
No, I'm just not great. Okay, great. I love Here's the thing. When we, when we worry so much about, like, I'm supposed to conquer this, I can't tell you how many times a student has walked in my classroom or into my office, and they walk out and I went, now, God in his kindness said, once in a while, I'm going to send them to hell. Those who don't say, thank you for taking kindness to listen to me. I just am not going to be talking to And when they talk about really, it's kind of mundane and boring. My offering was that I'll be done. And that was enough. The outcome, I'll leave to God. Trust in the offering you can give when the revelations come. Think of just these two brothers. What time do we end this class? What time? 45, thank you. I could not remember, so I knew something about the yelling, but okay, we're good. Just look at these two. Brother Jeremy. Hey, go get along yourself and I'll meet you there. Hey, old staring little light. Listen, come in. Brothers and sisters, it's amazing what God was doing to teach the brother Jared what he was like. Get all your stuff ready, and I'm not going to give you any more of the answer until you get to the Valley of Nimrod. That's verse 4 in chapter 2. Then we get to the Valley of Nimrod, God gives you one. I'm trying to teach you that I, I literally, if God gave us everything we knew, uh, yeah, how long did you last? If you're in one of those places like they fire hose and you're like, oh, you talk, oh. and that would be like God, and we thought of the Bible was really small and useful. We couldn't handle it. So he says, I'm a God who will give you incrementally along the way so you can handle it. It's okay. Hey, put a hole in the top and the bottom. You know what's okay? Hey, you decide on the light. What about the steering wheel? Just trust me. Okay. So I know God well enough that I will commend myself unto him and let him do whatever he needs to do for me then. And stop worrying about the outcome. Look, look what Brother Jared does here. Just phenomenal. And I can't find my glasses real cool. Oh Lord, thou hast said that we must be compassed about by the floods. Now behold, O Lord, do not be angry with thy servant because of his weakness before thee. Now watch what this right here shows you what he comes to know about his God. But we know that thou art holy and dwellest in the heavens, and that we are unworthy before thee because of the fall of our natures. Not because we're bad, but because of our fallen natures. And, and evil is before us every day. So, Lord, we know you've given us a commandment to call upon thee so we can ask the Lord. Because we know you're a God that likes to give what we want. And he goes on. Then he has the experience where he comes and appears to the bell. And the Lord said to him, You believe the words which I speak? Let me do this. Because I know you'll look. I want you to change it for a second. Brothers and sisters, do you believe what I have given you? The only reason that Brother Jared could trust that is because he knew. That God can't lie and can only speak truth. My daughter's husband right now hasn't been able to find a job for two months. And she is a lot like her father. That you, when something doesn't work, you work harder. And if that doesn't work, you work even harder. And you work until it's accomplished. Now that's a great gift. Sometimes it withholds the homesteaders from trusting in their God. He has received, he received a priesthood blessing. It was very clear what he was supposed to do. He's supposed to take time in the temple and be there until he received revelation with clarity and understanding of what God had done to do. And so he went to the temple multiple times over the next few weeks and got his, got his errand. And it's as clear as day is long. He knows it, he knows what's going to happen. But my daughter hasn't gotten the answer. She has not, not gotten anything from the Lord about this situation. And I know, because I know my God, I know what he's doing with my daughter. So my daughter has a really hard time not trusting just in her own flesh because she is so gifted and talented. 
this is my wife, and I want you to um, just see her experience as she we put in the book. Throughout my life, I have had many experiences where I have gone to the Lord seeking answers through a preacher's blessing. It might have been because I was struggling emotionally with something. Maybe I was trying to make a decision about something important at that moment. Maybe it was the dozens of times I was searching for insight about how to navigate the wonderful world of raising teenagers. I have to laugh right there because I know what the first smile was about that one. Or desperately trying to understand why I still hadn't changed something in me I really wanted to change. Whatever it was, usually when I would finally ask for a blessing, I was at my wit's end. I truly wanted and needed some specific answers. I found, however, that so many times instead of giving me the specific answer, I needed to either were telling me what I should do in a confusing sort of situation, or give me what seemed to be vague counsel about an issue or counsel that felt irreverent, sorry, irrelevant to my challenge. It seems that sometimes he would not even address the issue at all. Hmm. On one time in particular, I was seeking to know how to discipline a certain child. I knew we needed to do something about the, the repeated negative behavior, but I had already tried so many things that had worked. I just really needed some divine instruction that was going to work. In a blessing, the Lord tells me, just listen to him. And that was it. He said nothing about the actual problem or what I was supposed to do about it. At the time, it was so frustrating to me. It just seemed like the Lord didn't care about me or about my success as a parent. And wait, what is the Lord trying to teach himself, his Savior, and by himself? See, my wife wanted an answer about how to deal with the situation, but God's trying to teach him what he's in. I also wondered if maybe I just wasn't in tune, because that's what we always run to and say, oh, I'm probably not in tune enough, so that's my own problem. Every time we run it out, my God goes, I love that word. Stop judging by the outcome and just judge by the offering. This and other experiences like it made me wonder if God just wanted me to flounder on my own without the help I needed. I actually even struggled, I even started struggling with my faith in the preacher's lesson. Now, think about this. And Michelle and I have talked about this, and we talked right before it came. Just listen to him. What's God like? Honor his agency. What's God like? Mortality, sometimes we flounder. What's God like? Brothers and sisters, this experience, and a thousand others that you've had yourself, look back over and ask, what was God trying to teach you about himself? And as you move forward, ask yourself, what is God trying to teach me about himself so that I can make it through a world that is constantly hammering on my enough, my good enough, my whatever enough, and all the other garbage that comes at us, and realize that God loves your offering. He loves that you are willing to at least try because he is a God that is patient and loving and kind and generous. He's trying to teach you what he's like from whatever experience. So let me end with this now. Brothers and sisters, like I said at the start, we have to be careful if our revelation we receive does not match the test that God has given, we have to reevaluate because if we follow it and it's not based upon eternal truth and then it doesn't work out, guess who we don't like? God. So we have to make sure we're correct in this process, all right? Let me also offer a test you must might apply as you seek guidance on a particular matter as you feel impressions coming, even when you did not consciously seek them. While you may still have questions after you apply these four criteria, you will be able to know when feelings have not come from the proper source. If the answer to the four questions I have suggested you apply to your promptings is always yes, then you can continue to pray, ponder and seek confirmation until you are finally sure. If the answer to any of these four questions is no, then you can have confidence that the feeling you have had is not from the Holy Ghost. These are the questions. Is the feeling or impression you have consistent with the pronouncements of the Lord found in the Scriptures? If it's contrary to the Scriptures, you've got to back up and start again. Is your inspiration consistent with the statements and counsel of living prophets? 
So if a Jew comes and tells me they've received a revelation that is contrary to what the prophet has taught, I have to say, you probably need to go back and try that one again, because you, you uh, have the wrong answer on this one. Is the prompting you feel consistent with your own area of responsibility? I really feel like the Lord should change. And the bishop needs to do this. Oh. Now, does that mean you cannot go to the bishop and say, hey, as a mother, as a father, these are some things we think would help and be a blessing to our children in the youth program. Of course you can. You can go share those thoughts and feelings. But the minute you have got the revelation that this is what the board should do, or the state should do, you're probably doing it. It's not your area of responsibility. Okay? Last one. Have you respected the agency of others? That one has been the one that has probably helped me find correction quicker than anyone. It's because I have a tendency, because of my personality, to override my children's agency at times. And I call it revelation. And I'll say to them, I received a revelation for you. Now, I can receive guidance and inspiration for saying, don't misunderstand me. But the minute I cross their agency, I, I, I need to go back and say, let's look at this again. So let's finish with this. It is vitally important to always remember that the Holy Ghost will not prompt an individual to violate sacred covenants and disobey God's commandments. The Spirit of the Lord will not prompt any person to think or act in a manner that is contrary to the doctrine and the unauthorized practices of the Savior's restored church as contained in the Holy Scriptures, in the repeated teachings of the Lord's apostles and prophets, in the authorized proclamations and declarations of the Council of the First Presidency, and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. If a person purports to receive revelation for purposes outside of his or her particular ecclesiastical calling or responsibility, then you can be sure that the revelations are not from God. Such as a church member who professes to receive revelation to guide the church at the local or general level, or a person who invokes the principle of revelation to guide another person over whom he or she has no presiding authority according to the order of the church. Some of you now, Elder McConkie gave a talk here at BYU a long time ago. And he used the story of a young man who came to a young lady and said, I have received revelation that we're supposed to marry each other. And in fact, I received revelation that we promised each other in the three mortal realms that we would marry each other. And then this my most favorite statement of all I've ever heard uh, on this topic. She turned him and said, well, I may have made a mistake once, but I'm not doing it again. <laughs> I was like, that was a brilliant young lady. Brothers and sisters, God has protected us in the revelatory process to make sure we stay in course and track with what he has established in his church. He is trying to teach us about who he is and what he's like. So what we'll do over the next three days is we'll basically walk through some hindrances and show you how those hindrances may keep you from understanding, knowing, and coming to realize the revelatory process is to help you to trust in him more. And so we'll work through those. Brothers and sisters, thank you for coming ready to learn. I testify that Jesus is the Christ. I testify that by knowing his Father, our Father, and him, we will come to understand the revelatory process and the purpose of it so much more. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.